Uh, hey, welcome everyone to Chatham Community Church. Uh, for those of you who are new here, my name is Alex, and we're delighted if you're joining us here for the very first time, especially if this is first time ever in a long time in a church setting. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What we're all about here is just all about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, so together we can engage our world for good in Jesus' name and according to his purposes and all that good stuff. Uh, this summer we're doing a series of messages called Signature Moments. Uh, all of us have friends, family members that we know and love well and deeply, and there's these stories that kind of encapsulate their personality, what we love about them, their quirks, and those stories often get told over and over and over again. God has his own signature moments with his people. So throughout the course of the summer, we're going from Genesis to Revelation, just looking at these signature moments God has with his people. How do they interact? How do they engage? What does God do? What do the people do? And how might we learn to enter into our own signature moments? Because here's what we see is true. You can have God move towards you in a signature way, and you can miss it, ignore it, or even reject it. And so what we're doing is we're looking at how does God move, and then how do people respond faithfully in such a way that there's this beautiful signature moment because here's what happens. When God's signature activity meets faithful response from us, his people, it unleashes all kinds of grace to the world. Redemption, renewal. Like when God's signature activity meets with faithful responses, all kinds of different people responses by all kinds of different people, it just unleashes a different kind of grace and mercy and power to the world that can ever be kind of generated in our own strength. So what we're doing over the course of this, uh, of this whole summer is this. One, we want to learn what God's interactivity looks like. What does it sound like? What does it feel like? So that we don't miss it, ignore it, or push back against it, that we might grow to love it when we see God at work. And then secondly, what does faithful response look like? All kinds of different personalities, all kinds of different people in different situations responding mostly faithfully. And what does that look like so that we might respond in our own ways? So uh, we're, we're trying to capture this not just for us individually, but also for us collectively. In fact, last week, after, at the end of the message, I had uh, the community here kind of write down what they sensed. What do they hear about God's signature activity from the passage we looked at last week? And then what do they see about what faithful response looked like? And I had them on, write that down on a note card, and they posted it up on the, uh, on the cork board on the way out. And, uh, and we gathered that up together. And this is what our community heard last week from Second Chronicles chapter 34. The gold is what God did in Second Chronicles 34. And the blue was the faithful response, or even kind of fitfully faithful response of the people that stood out to our community last week. Because here's the thing, signature moments don't just happen with individuals, they also happen with whole communities. And so we want to, all summer long, we're going to invite our community to, to be listening. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to us together? How might God be speaking to us as a church? And how might we, me, we grow in responding more and more faithfully? So you can see God's patient, God's correcting, God calls, God redeems, he's compassionate. And then you see the, the people's response, faithful response, contrition, praise. Service, surrender, humility, great responses. We're going to collect these all summer long, and we'll watch this, this word cloud is going to get way more crowded as uh, the summer goes along. That's what we're going to do together. Because when God's signature activity meets faithful responsiveness, it unleashes all kinds of grace, beauty, truth, love, joy, righteousness into the world. Now, that's all well and good, but here's what we know. We don't always respond so faithfully, do we? We have our good moments, right? And we have our rough moments. In fact, humans are consistently one thing. We are remarkably consistent and consistent. Right? Well, I, you are fabulous one moment. And then 30 minutes later, you like lose your temper at a kid or someone in traffic. Right? Like even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, not a Jesus person, here's something you probably already know. Christians aren't always so consistently Christian. 
right? So we're faithful in some moments. We're, we're good versions of ourselves or faithful in some moments. In other moments, we're a little messy. We're inconsistent. So the problem we're going to deal with today is this. How does God relate to messy, inconsistent people like you and me? What's God going to do? How does God relate to people who don't always respond as faithfully as we could or as we should? How does, how does God's grace meet us even in the midst of those situations? The passage that Sean just read so beautifully. You've got an old man named Samuel. Now, uh, the, the people of Israel are a kind of a, a, a relatively young nation, and they don't have a king. They, they're kingless, and they're kingless by design. God was supposed to be their king. And over the course of several generations, they, as they faced uh, wars and opposition and had internal conflicts and squabbles, God has raised up leaders. Now, some of those leaders have been really faithful. Some of them have themselves been inconsistent and messy and disobedient. And so there's a mixed bag. And the Philistines are always looming in the Old Testament. They're sort of like the, the typical bad guys, the, the nemesis for the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And so Samuel has been the leader, the one who's kind of led the people as a prophet, as a seer, as, as someone who's kind of the mouthpiece of God for his whole life since he was a little kid. So Samuel's been awesome, but his kids are a hot mess. And so the leaders of Israel come up to Samuel and say, listen, you've been great, but you're getting old. You're about to die. Your kids are a hot mess. And so there's all this anxiety in the air, right? There's problems internally they need to deal with. There's political issues, like in every nation. There's threats from the outside. And so as the, as the people gather around Samuel and have this conversation with him at the start of 1 Samuel chapter 8, let's call this a signature crossroads. Signature crossroads is this, a transition, threat, or potential crisis that squeezes us. You've had this, right? You've had these experiences. Transition, threat, or potential crisis. And when we experience transition, threat, crisis, or potential crisis, it squeezes us. And the question is, what comes out? What comes out when you get squeezed by a transition? Samuel, you're getting old, and your sons are no good, or I'm getting ready to move, or my marriage is in trouble, or my job is in trouble, or the kids are going off the rails, my own kids are struggling. What comes out of you? Transition, threat, potential crisis, medical situations as well. We all have these crossroads. Can you look back and see what came out of you during that season, during that time? Maybe it was this past week, maybe it was this morning, maybe it was a month ago. What comes out of you when you get squeezed by transition, crisis, potential threat? Here's what comes out of the leaders of Samuel's generation. What comes out of them is this. They say, enough of this. We want a king. Appoint us a king so that we can have a nation, uh, a king, just like all the other nations have. Now, here's the, here's the rub. Israel was never supposed to be like all the other nations. God was supposed to be their king. They weren't supposed to be like all the other nations. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. Supposed to be different. But in the midst of transition, threat, crisis, potential crisis, challenges in the air, they capitulate to conventional wisdom. What is everyone else doing? They all have kings. We have problems. We need a king just like they have. Anyone have a story from your childhood where your friends were doing something stupid and you went along with them and did something stupid even though you knew it might have been kind of stupid because your friends were doing it? And your mom told you something like, if your friends all jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge or put their head in the toilet, would you also do that? And you said, yes, most of us. Now, this doesn't apply to a small percentage of you. A small percentage of you have no go-along-with-the-crowd bone in your body. If everyone's doing A, you're going to do Z just for the heck of it. 
So you don't, like, a few of you, like, have no desire to go along with the crowd or jump in with what everyone else is doing. You're going to get a pass for the next three minutes. Everyone else, the rest of us, here's how we operate. Because we're social creatures and God made us social creatures. We find our norms by the people around us. Right? Every generation, every culture, every subculture, every sub-sub-subculture has norms that we say, oh, yeah, this is normal. This is good. This is how we live, right? Even the, even the countercultures. It's funny how everyone's rebellion in certain, certain countercultures all looks the same. All you rebels, you're all rebelling in exactly the same way. Why is that? Because we pick up our norms, right? That's how we figure out if we're okay by what other people are doing. Now, here's the trick. Here's the rub. Here's the backdrop to the whole story. That God, in his signature moment, one of his signature calls to human beings, to his people, for every generation is this. He wants us to be a distinctive people. That's the backdrop to this whole story. That's the backdrop to the whole biblical story. God says, I'm going to call out people that are going to look different from the rest of the community, from all the other nations. And so here's the rub, and here's the question. What happens when what's normal around you differs from the God who calls you to be salt and light, not similar and alike? What do you do when what's normal all around you, what, what everyone else is doing in their family or at work or whatever, what do you do when what's happening all around you is against what God calls you to be, what God calls you to do? When he calls you to be salt and light, not similar and alike. Every generation of Christians, every generation of God's people has had to deal with this issue, this question. Where conventional wisdom, what's normal all around us, goes against something of what God's all about. Now listen, those norms and standards change every generation. Right? And some, of those norms, some of those changes are really good. Right? Some of the changes, generation to generation, are healthier. They look more and more like the kingdom that God talked about, the, the ways that God wants us to live together. So every generation, there's certain changes that are really good. And every generation, there's certain norms or changes that go against kind of who God calls us to be. So the question is, who are you going to be and what are you going to do when everyone else is doing one thing, when conventional wisdom is one thing, and God calls you to be different, distinctive, salt and light, not similar or alike. Really enjoyed over the last year this new thing we've been doing called the Christian Business Collaborative. It's just getting people in business and marketplace uh, in the working world together to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus in the marketplace, in the working world. A, a year ago, we had uh, one guy, Mark Stith, share his story. Mark uh, sings for us occasionally, and he owns his own roofing company. And he was talking about what conventional wisdom, what's normal in the roofing company and, and, and roofing world is this. When a storm comes through or five days or six days of storms comes through over and over and over again, what you do is you send your salespeople to the neighborhoods and say, it looks like you got some storm damage up there, even if they didn't. And all you have to do is sign off on my report that you got storm damage and you get a free roof because the insurance company will pay for it. That's normal. It's what everyone does. Except Mark won't do it. Because like, he said, my job is to honor the Lord with the business he's given to me. He's going to be different than the conventional wisdom. Even, he's not even going to cheat the evil insurance company. I mean, come on, insurance companies, come on. That's fine, right? It's okay to cheat and, cheat and steal insurance companies, right? And Mark said, no, no, no. I'm called to honor the Lord with my business. So he loses a lot of money every year because he doesn't do what everyone else is doing. What does it look like for you to live distinctive, differently, salt and light, not similar and alike. And it's a lot harder when there's a lot of money on the line, when you can lose a lot of money. And it's a lot harder when you're in time of transition, crisis, or threat of crisis, when something's looming and you're anxious, right? Now, 
So the question of what does it mean to look like, live as salt and light? Because some of you, that's your problem. That's where you are today. Today, you're in the midst of crisis, transition, threats, or there's things coming at you, and you're figuring out what does it mean for me to live as salt and light? Because that sounds like churchy, right? That's good and churchy. Let me give you some examples. Let me give you a few things. Just a quick touch. What does salt and light look like? What does it mean for you to live this faithfully out? Okay, so a few quick touches. One, it's motivated by faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage. These sort of five cardinal virtues. Faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage. Not motivated out of fear or anxiety. Not self-righteousness, not ambition, not pride, not selfishness, faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage, none of these other things. Secondly, it's in line with the scriptures, because here's the, here's the reality. What, what you feel is right or normal has been shaped by the conventional wisdom, right? Your, your heart, your mind, what feels right, what feels normal to all of us has been shaped by the generation we're born into. What feels normal to you doesn't feel normal to someone 100 years ago. So you can't just go by what you feel. It has to be an outside, an external sort of measure or guide. It's very, very helpful to see what's true, what's right. You need something outside your own head and on your own heart to help you know what is salty, what's bright, what does God require of me. Third, it looks and sounds a lot like Jesus. And every time Jesus says no, it's always there to serve as larger yes. We're being different, not just for the sake of being different, not just because we're like rebelling against things. We're saying no to serve the larger yes, God's kingdom come, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to be salty and bright. To say I'm going to be faithful in this place means I'm going to look, it's going to look and sound like Jesus. It's going to sound a little bit like Jesus' conflicts. It's going to look a little bit like Jesus' conflicts. And then finally, lastly, it bears the fruit of the spirit in you and by God's grace around you. Listen, if you're making decisions and living in such a way that it makes you more angry, more self-righteous, more proud, more arrogant... You're not, making steps, you're not making decisions in line with the Holy Spirit. You're just making decisions out of your flesh. When we're following the Spirit, when we're following Jesus, it bears the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, among other fruits of the Spirit. If those things are happening in your life, then you're making decisions that are salty and bright. And if those things are not happening in your life, then you're out of step with the Spirit, which means it's time to take a deep breath. And say, what decisions can I make differently now? That's a quick pass at salty and bright rather than sort of similar and alike. And so all of us have these signature places of decision-making time. Where is there a place where God's calling you to be salt and light rather than similar and alike? Where is God calling you to be salt and light rather than similar and alike? This is a battle every generation of God's people had to, bat- had to fight and deal with. And right here, right now, in Samuel's generation, they're failing it. They're failing it, right? We want to be like all the other nations and have a king to lead us and protect us and make sure we're okay. And God says, I was supposed to be your king. So here's the question. What does God do? How does God respond when people are inconsistent in their faithfulness? When they don't want what God wants? What does God do when we are inconsistent in our obedience and our faithfulness? When we're not especially salty, not especially bright, not living in line with the scriptures or step with the spirit. How does God respond to people in the midst of their inconsistent obedience? Samuel's really faithful. The people aren't. What's God do? Here's what God does. This is what God's signature looks like from 1 Samuel 8. This request for a king displeased Samuel. He prayed to the Lord. The Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, it's not you they've rejected, they've rejected me as their king. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who reigns over them will claim as his rights. This is things like, he's going to draft your sons for war, he's going to steal your cattle, he's going to tax you, he's going to take your best fruit and your best animals and all these things the king's going to do to you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. Nope, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like what? Like who? All the other nations. 
for the king to lead us and go out before us to fight our battles. One of the parts of my job that I really enjoy the most is having a front row seat to people who are in transition, crisis, or threat of crisis. I mean, just kind of walk alongside people in some of the worst moments of their lives. It's really, it's like a holy, sacred moment for some people. And one of the things that blows me away from time to time is how faithful some people are. I mean, some people are just digging in. They're praying more like crazy. They're seeking the Lord. They're, they're fighting to trust God and trust God and trust God. They're having wonderful conversations. They're inviting friends to speak into it, getting wisdom from other people. I love seeing that. Sometimes I'm totally humbled and blown away by, like, how mature some people are. And then, of course, some people go through crisis, threat of crisis, transition, and they just cave into conventional wisdom, work the problem, don't necessarily engage with God. Sometimes some people walk away from God. They get too busy for God or distracted by all those things. And that's always heartbreaking to watch and see. But most people that I'm walking alongside with here at, at our church are a mixed bag, right? There's parts where they're able to trust God and parts where they're struggling to trust God. There's places where they're really kind of pressing in and at peace and places where they're not yet ready to surrender or trust God along the way. And that's most of our journeys where we're a mixed bag of where there's places in my life where I'm able to trust God, if we're a Jesus person, and places in my, lives where, my life where I'm struggling to trust God and believe that he's good or that he's got this and I'm just kind of figuring it out on my own. So what does God do with people who don't always trust him, who don't always respond faithfully? Here we get God's signature response to inconsistent people who are not always faithful. The first thing we see from God is this. God's going to call sin what it is. Sin. He's not going to minimize it or excuse it. He says, listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. They are pushing me away. See, here's the thing. Because uh, I'm inconsistent in my faithfulness, what I want to do when I sin or when I have, make a mistake is I want to minimize it, excuse it, or justify it. Amen? It wasn't that bad. I was having a bad day. You should see what somebody else did. I make all these excuses. And some of us have been really, really damaged by other people. And some of you are so accommodating, so, so kind of like wanting like, like not say mean things about anybody. You're, you excuse other people that shouldn't be excused for things they did to you that have no excuse. When they said that, they were, uh, they were having a bad day. When they did that thing to me, they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, it doesn't matter. It didn't hurt that bad. It didn't matter that much. They were having a bad day, a bad week, a bad year, a bad decade, a bad five decades, a bad lifetime. You bend over backwards trying to excuse people for things that they do. God refuses to excuse sin. He forgives it. He does not excuse it. God refuses to, forget, to excuse sin, justify, minimize, rationalize it. Yes, he knows all the things, right? He knows we're having a bad day. He knows the things that kind of feed into it. But he's going to call sin what it is. This is sin. The people are rejecting me, he says to Samuel. This is actually what it is. I know they're scared. They're anxious. They're still rejecting me as king. Second thing we see as God's signature response to inconsistent obedience is this. He will not remove all of sin's consequences. Hey, Samuel, tell the people this is going to stink. There's going to be stuff that happens when these kings come into power that they're going to regret. They're going to be sorry that happened. Warn the people the king will take up his rights and take your kids and steal your cattle and take your money and all that kind of stuff. He's going to tax you relentlessly. And God says, I'm not taking away all those consequences. See, what I want God to do is both minimize my sin and then cover up my consequences for me. God, I did this thing. Probably wasn't the best thing, but it wasn't that big of a deal and it shouldn't have that many consequences. And God says, no, you did this and it was still sin. And there are going to be consequences, and I'm not going to rescue you from all the consequences. The king is going to make the people's lives miserable. That's not God being vindictive. That's just letting a decision play out to its natural consequences. It's not God being angry at the people. He's not, like, out to get them. He's like, this decision just has 
consequences. Sin always has consequences, and God is not going to minimize or sort of turn off all those consequences. All right, so God calls sin, sin, and then God says, hey, it's going to have consequences. So you would think step number three, you would think step number three, given all this like kind of hard stuff, is God would say, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm leaving you. I'm letting this play out. Y'all just figure it out yourselves. But here's where the unexpected turn happens. Here's the third part of God's signature response to inconsistent, occasionally faithless of occasionally faithful people like you and me. It's from 1 Samuel 8 and 9. Samuel heard all people had said. He repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them, give them a king. I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He'll deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. So here's how God relates to inconsistent, occasionally faithless people like you and like me. First, God's going to call sin, sin. He's not going to minimize or excuse it. Secondly, he's not going to take away all of sin's consequences. But here's this unexpected turn in the signature moment. God says in the midst of all this mess, you know what he says? I can work with that. Hey, if someone's going to be faithful to me, if someone's willing to be faithful to me, if someone's willing to sort of have their heart inclined to be, I am willing to work with that. I don't want you to have a king, but I tell you what, I'm going to raise up a king for you anyway. I wanted to be your king. I wanted to deliver you from the Philistines. But you know what? He's going to do it on my behalf. I don't want you to make this decision. But I'm willing, if you're willing to be soft toward me and have eyes to see me, I am willing to step right into your mess, right into your inconsistent obedience, and I will come along and I can work with that. This is totally unexpected. I don't want you to do this. I don't think it's wise. There's going to be consequences. And yet, I'm going to work with this. Last week we said God can redeem anything, but he doesn't script everything. God can redeem anything, but he doesn't script everything. There's decisions that we make along the way that God says, that's not my plan. It's not what I want for you. But God says, hey, listen, if you're willing to turn to me, I can work with it. It's really important to see, right? It's really important to see that God's willing to work with people, but especially in if and as there's people whose hearts are soft toward him. Right? Samuel's heart is soft toward the Lord. He's heartbroken over this, this decision. He doesn't want it. God sees Samuel's faith and other people who have faith too. They're still faithful people in Israel. He says, I know that the majority want this. It's going in this direction. But if your heart is still soft toward me, I can work with this. I'm willing to raise up a king for you and work within this. In fact, for the whole rest of the Old Testament, anytime there's a king whose heart is soft toward the Lord, God says, I can work with that man. I can work with that person. I can do good. I didn't want a king to begin with. I didn't want this whole establishment. I didn't want this whole structure. But I tell you what, if your heart is soft toward me, I will move in you and through you anyway. Isn't that great news? That the signature of God is grace even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of our mistakes, even when we make decisions that have consequences for generations, God says, if you will turn your heart toward me, if you'll move toward me, if anyone has surrendered to me, no matter what mess they're in, I can step in, come alongside, and I'm not going to fix everything. I'm not going to turn off all the consequences. It's not going to all be roses after that, but I am willing to step right into that mess, whatever that mess is. And try to redeem that mess. God's signature grace says, I can work with that. Especially when there's people whose hearts are soft toward him. Our response is we turn, return, repent. And trust ourselves fully over to the, to the God who loves us is for us. No matter how big the mess and no matter how you got there, God's there. He's for you. He's with you. God is willing to write his signature of grace 
right in the middle of this mess. My friends, is there a place right now in your life where there's a lot of mess around you? Maybe something you did, maybe something someone else did around you. Is there a bunch of mess in your life? Trust the Lord. Move toward the Lord. And even if you are there because of decisions you have made, he says, I tell you what, if you turn your heart toward me, I can work with this. Some of you made mistakes in love, right? Made mistakes in love. Wrong marriage, wrong relationship, oh, maybe over and over and over again, right? Turn your heart toward the Lord. It's not, that was my plan for you. I didn't want you to go through uh, terrible, terrible marriages, abusive marriages, these situations. That's not what God wanted for you. Turn your heart toward me. I can work with that. Some of you have spent years chasing after career, chasing after money, chasing after security, chasing after people's applause and approval. And God says, I don't want any of that for you. But if you turn your heart toward me right here, right now, I'll work with you. I'll work with that. The religion of our age right now is politics. And some of you are so wrapped up in politics. You've got cable news running 24-7. Whatever it might be, whatever your brand of cable news is, whatever your brand of politics is. And some of us have gotten so caught up in all the foment and all the anger and all the energy. And God says, enough. That's important, but it's not the most important thing. This kingdom, the United States of America, it's not God's kingdom. You put God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom first. Let him reset your political levels. I don't want you all embroiled in all the politics up to your eyeballs so that you worship the God of politics. I want you to be faithful, salt and light, different, distinctive. Surrender your politics to me. Put my kingdom first, seek me first, and then I'll work with that. In fact, I might even send you back to your tribe to declare the good news that there's something more important than politics in the world. Isn't that great news? Doesn't our, doesn't our nation need to hear? Don't we need to hear something more important than politics in the world? Bless the Lord. It's God's kingdom. It's God's grace. It's God's spirit. And he might send you right back to your political tribe to declare the good news. There's something more important than po politics in the world. His name is Jesus. And his kingdom is greater than any earthly kingdom. And it will last forever and ever. Amen. Build your life around that kingdom. God's signature here in this moment looks like this. He's going to call sin what it is. He's not going to erase consequences. But he, every time someone turns toward him, no matter what the mess is, no matter how you got there, turn to the Lord. He says, I can work with that. So we turn, we repent. For the first time or the 101st time, fully to the Lord, no matter how you got there, no matter how big the mess is, God says, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and write grace right there in the midst of that situation. Now, as Sean read the whole story of Saul, what you see is that Saul's story is a mixed bag from the jump, right? Saul is a big burly man. He's a head taller than everyone else, which is why he should have been fighting Goliath a, little, a few chapters later. Because he's bigger than everybody else. And he ducks. He's scared. The spirit of the Lord falls on Saul. He prophesies. Right? Awesome. But from the very beginning, he's unsure about this. He pre-self-disqualifies. My family's the wrong family. I'm, I'm from a weak clan. Some of us pre-self-disqualify, don't we? Some of you have pre-self-disqualified before. God can't use me. He follows God a little bit. But when they have this big coronation, the big crowning day, right, where they cast lots and say, who's God selected to be king? The lot falls on Saul. Where is Saul? Saul is hiding in the baggage. He's like with the luggage. He's scared. I mean, understandably so, he's scared. But here's the thing. He has this push-pull with the, the whole thing from the very beginning. And Saul's story unfolds so sadly. He walks away from God. 
God raises up King David, who's like the one bright spot in all these kings. He's like the brightest spot. There's a few other good ones, but he's the best king. And then the line of kings for generations starts to fail over and over and over again. And about 700 years after this all goes down, the people of Israel are a conquered people. They have been conquered for 500 years. Here's the thing. Earthly kings did not save them. Earthly kings did not save them. My friends, earthly kings cannot save you. Only God can. The kings failed. And into the midst of first century mess of Israel. The politics are a mess. They got a puppet government from the Romans. The religious institutions are a mess. They're all like chasing after the wrong things. Comes the real king, the true king, who's born right into the mess to redeem the mess. And this king also comes from the wrong spot. His family line is good. He's from the, the line of kings, but that line of kings has failed over and over and over again. But he's born poor. He's born in a stable. He, he's not born into royalty. The conventional wisdom of that age was shaped by 500 years of occupation. The Romans have ruled everything and everybody. So what you have is you've got these two strong streams. Some people react really strongly. We've got to be more and more religious, more and more devout so that God will deliver us from the Romans. The other stream swings way the opposite end. We need to accommodate and work with the Romans and play power games as best we possibly can. This king comes. And you know what he says? Neither. He's going to be salt and light. He's not going to be similar and alike. Like, he's not like anybody else's politics. not like anyone else's religious practices of his day. For three years, he has public ministry. He gets squeezed over and over and over again. And what comes out of him, faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage. He says strong no's that serves God's larger yes, God's kingdom coming, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, he's squeezed by the great terrible moment of the cross that he knows is right ahead of him. And when that moment comes, most of his friends abandon him. Most of his friends run and hide as the two great powers of this earth, religion and politics, conspire to create the darkest, messiest moment in human history. But you know what's happening in the midst of all that darkness, in the midst of all that chaos, in the midst of all that wickedness? You know what's happening in that? God calling his son to do something very distinctive. Lay down your life for the sins of the world. And you know what happens when God's signature call meets the perfect human's perfect response? You know what happens? Boom. Redemption. Grace. Mercy. Like never before seen, like never again will be seen ever, ever again. The perfect human responding perfectly to the most distinctive call in human history from God the Father. Jesus is the perfect king who unleashes perfect grace and mercy, and that mercy, that redemption is written right in the middle of the mess and the darkness and the corruption. Because the only way God's going to write a redemption story in the, on the earth in history is if he's willing to write it in the mess. Because we're, we're messy people. We're occasionally faithful, occasionally faithless. But God, who is always faithful, comes to release grace and mercy in the signature moment of his son, who is the great king. And one day, all will see the king of kings, lord of lords, forever and ever. Amen and amen. All from that one majestic signature moment of grace written right in the mess.
Let's regather these things together as we kind of wrap up. The signature moments for 1 Samuel 8 through 10. Just a few things really quick as we close. First off, signature crossroads. What are you going to do at these points of transition? Threat, potential crisis, what squeezes you? When, when you get squeezed, what comes out? Secondly, God's signature looks like calling people to be distinctive. Every generation has this calling, and every generation has to wrestle with, what do I do about the fact that God's calling to be distinctive is going to look differently than the world around me? How do I live as salt and light, not just sort of similar and alike? We talked about those sort of signatures of what it looks like to be salty and bright in the midst of the world. We talked about sort of life of faith, hope, and love, and those sort of things. And that's all going to be in the paper copies of this on the way out. But the question of how do we live this way distinctively in the midst of those challenges. God's signature here says this. I'm gonna, he's going to name sin. He's going to call sin what it is. He's not going to take away all the consequences. And yet at the same time, if you're willing to put our hearts toward him, he's like, I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll work with that. Our job, trust, retrust. Maybe trust for the very first time. Maybe retrust or repent over and over and over again. The God who loves us. Because he can step into the mess to redeem the mess, no matter how big the mess or how you got there. That's the good news of grace. That's the good news of Jesus. He is here. He is for you. He is with you. There they all are on one magnificently overpacked slide for those of you at home. And uh, these are also printed out on the, uh, on the paper copies on the way out. But as we close, we're going to close again this week like we did last week. Uh, on your paper, there was a blue card, a blue note card today. I want you to pick up that blue note card. And uh, on the, uh, in your seat pocket in front of you, there's a pen or a pencil. So blue note card, pen or pencil. And again, I'm going to give you these two prompts to, uh, to respond to. First prompt, you'll have to write the prompt on there. Just write down your response to this prompt. God's signature from this passage looks like what? Like what, what stands out to you about God's signature in this passage? What, what stands out to you? What's popping? What are the words that are, that are kind, of, kind of feel heavy or strong or important to you? What does God's signature look like in this passage that's important to you? Just a word, two words, three words. And then on the right side, again, you'll have to write down the prompt. Faithful response from this passage looks like what? Or maybe not from this passage. What is, what is faithful response? What's standing out to you about what response, healthy, good response might look like? Or what you need to learn about responsiveness? From the Lord. So I'm going to give you one minute right here, right now, to fill this out and kind of capture whatever you're learning. So take a minute to do that now. Now again, just like last week, this could be your widely important take-homes. This, these could be the things that God's speaking to you that you seem to take with you. Or if you would like, you can pop these blue note cards on top of the white note cards out there. This is this week's words to our community. And we will continue to build out that word cloud that will be more crowded than my slide was a few minutes ago on the widely important take-homes. As we continue as a community to listen to what's God saying to us about what his signature looks like and how, might, how we might respond faithfully. Good news about God's signature of grace to us in the mess. Let's pray as we close out this time together here. Jesus, thank you so much for your kindness and goodness to us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would help us. And I pray for my friends who are here who are in the, in the crisis moment, in the place where they're feeling the anxiety and the stress. I pray for my friends who are here who are living with the consequences of decisions that were made in the past that they regret or decisions they had nothing to do with but that have been kind of put upon them, that they're having to live with those consequences. Lord Jesus, my prayer is that all of us would turn our hearts toward you. 
The God who rolls up his sleeves and says, I can work with that. I'll get into the mess with you to redeem the mess. Would you lead us? Would we follow you wherever you would lead us? Even if it's against the grain, even if it's against conventional wisdom, would you give us the courage and strength to be salty and light, not similar and alike, to be your distinctive people? And Lord God, most of all, we say thank you for your signature grace poured out for us on the cross, right there in the midst of the mess, to redeem the whole mess, including us. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' strong mighty name, amen, amen, amen.